it's our first season like over 10 episodes oh yeah yeah yeah. we're not giving up this time now i feel like we need to make it to 50 for it to be like a good end you know yeah yeah i know 50 wow that would be a big accomplishment I know. 50 episodes. It's been more than a year since we started this podcast. Yeah. And we reached 400 followers. Ooh, it keeps going above 400 and then dropping d- back down to 399. Yeah, I know. Like some people just unfollow. I know. But now it's back to 400. So, yes. yes. But yeah. Well, I guess, how are we doing? <laughs> yeah, why are you laughing? I'm laughing because... It's just been not a good week. Yeah, it's been a, a lot in the world, in personal life, and like just physically tired because of everything. Mm-hmm. But um, well, I like do a little catch up. So I, yeah, it's been like I feel like until like the past three days, like my week was pretty good. I actually went on a family trip with my parents we went to like tahoe for the first time and it was really nice um drove there we did a lot of hikes Uh, i did the monkey rock hikes um and the legal legal eagle lake hike Um, they're all really really beautiful and like the scenery was just amazing i saw your stories yeah wait how far was it the drive Mm -hmm. like four hours okay not too bad yeah it's not too bad and then um, on my last day at like tahoe i also went to a beach which is like i feel like i haven't been to a real like actually warm beach Mm. in like probably two or even three years because you know if you live in san francisco you know how cold it is mm-hmm. all the time and even though like we do go to beaches here but then it still get like windy and stuff mm. oh my gosh actually i have a story to tell um so diana friend mm-hmm. and like and sean and madison we went to corgi con last saturday yeah, yeah, yeah. and that was at the ocean beach in san francisco and oh my god it was so windy oh that like the sand was just like blowing on our face like even though i was wearing mask i could still feel oh that's gross the sand hitting my face and even more gross is that i was wearing pants but i found sand in my <laughs> when when I was showering, I was like, "How did that sand get there?" Like, it was uh, so gross and so painful. But oh, I think no. the corgi was worth it. Yes, <laughs> the corgis were worth it. But also, yeah. like, is it usually windy <laughs> on the beach? Uh, that was like the. Well, it's usually windy, but not that windy. Mm. Mm-hmm. Damn! Remember when yeah, we went to was, corgi uh, fest or con? In yeah. where was it? It was like in Orange County at one time. Huntington Beach. Yeah. That was fun. That was so long yeah, that ago. Was really that was fun. before the pandemic. Yeah. I think that was like the last one since it resumed <gasps> oh. this year. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Cute. Because of COVID. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah. Wow. And then, yeah. And then recently in like 
today. There's just a lot of bad news. Yeah, we're filming <laughs> on the 24th, which this morning. Like, why do they release bad news, like, in the morning? Like, do it in the middle of the day so my day doesn't start <laughs> bad or something. Um, also, it's, yeah. like, during I mean, Pride Month. I know. And we have, like, Pride Parade. I don't know if it's, when is it happening in LA, but then, like, we have the Pride Parade tomorrow. Oh, the LA one happened like last week, I think. Yeah. Or two weekends ago. Yeah, literally we have six more days of Prime Mm. Month. Just let people live. (laughs) But um yeah, every I mean, obviously everyone knows that Roe v. Wade was overturned. But I guess we won't get too much into it, but we do have like a document with some resources that you can go look at or check out. Sign some petitions. I'm gonna do that tonight, like after this um and make some donations if you can but yeah sad time in the world yeah sad and angry and frustrated yeah but how was your week other than that it was okay yeah it wasn't the best (laughs) i guess a good thing is work has been chill so that's really good good today good me and my coworker, um, and an intern that is interning with us, we filmed a reel, which was really, really funny and really fun to do. Um, Ooh, yeah. Cute. But I just feel like I've been really distracted lately, so I'm glad that work is chill. So I'm not like, you know. But also, I feel like there's Me been too. so much shit going on in the world, like. I mean, natural disasters happen every day. Like tragedies happen every day. People you know bad things happen every day but recently i feel like there's been so many bad things happening consecutively that it's just like weird energy like the world is giving me weird energy oh my god i saw a tiktok today saying that like this month is giving us march 2025 and i kind of agree (laughs) i can see that (laughs) we have six more days (laughs) But um. Oh my god. But yeah, life like per usual. You just gotta keep on trekking, even with the bad news. Yeah. But I hope everyone is taking care of themselves and mm-hmm. just chilling, yeah. relaxing. The work will will get done after we take care of ourselves. Like put yourselves first, and then we'll get the work done. You know. Mm-hmm. And be careful for those who are going to even like protests and stuff. I've been seeing a lot of like tweets of like police being heavily stationed where protests are and threatening to shoot. So yeah, just be safe. Oh my god. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Anyways. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about topic in relation also to Pride Month. And we kind of mentioned it on our last episode. And we were actually like pretty excited about this topic because I really didn't know much before researching. Yes. Um, and f- we found some like pretty interesting facts that we didn't know about Hong Kong. So we're really excited to share with you the drag queen's culture in Hong Kong. Um, so to start off the conversation, let's kind of define what drag queens are so they're usually men who dress in women's clothes and performed before an audience 
drag shows, typically staged at nightclubs and gay pride festivals, are largely a subcultural phenomenon. A drag persona is not a one-off costume roleplay. It's born out of a passion for for performing and self-expression. It is an art. Yes, it's so much deeper than just getting on stage and performing. Yeah. But yeah, let's dive into the history of drag queen or drag in Hong Kong. Um, I actually put this insert in here because it reminded me, it drew parallels for me with drag queens or what drag is. So in China and Hong Kong, there's a long-standing history of Chinese opera. And in Chinese opera, there's a lot of cross-dressing. It is very, very common. Male actors perform female roles and vice versa. I think more recently, though, it's more female ro- females playing both roles because of the range of their voice. Um, but also, dressing up as the opposite sex often serves as a metaphor for the loss of one's identity or for gender dysphoria. Frequently, it also carries implications of same-sex romance, which is what the article says. Um, and during the Qing dynasty, all male troops needed to cast certain men as women. Such actors became known as nan dan, where nan means male and dan refers to traditionally female theatrical roles. And a 1927 review by the Beijing-based newspaper says that they gave male actors the top four rankings in a list of the country's best performances of female roles. And I think the difference between cross-dressing and drag is that I feel like drag is also an expression of identity, but cross-dressing is not something that is, like, defining your sexual identity. And it's just, I guess, solely done for the role and the character that you're playing, but people have assumed that it carries different meanings behind it. So Mm -hmm. I was thinking about this, and I was like, cross-dressing has been so ingrained in you know Chinese culture so cross-dressing is so normalized in Chinese opera but why when it comes to you know like a play or a musical or even with drag like it's seen so differently there's different implications behind it um and that was just really interesting to me I think well another point that I want to point out before I answer that question is that I think it's really interesting how, like, in cross-dressing, it also involves a lot of, like, men wearing makeup. Yes. And I think it's really interesting how, you know, now I feel like people are more accepting of men wearing makeup because of, like, K-beauty and everything. But then I think before that, it was really looked down upon. But then if we look back at history, like, there is a long history of men wearing makeup in Chinese opera. And with that too, I feel like cross-dressing is more acceptable and praised um, when it comes to Chinese operas because it has a longer history and cultural heritage in Chinese society. So like the connotation and connection to that form of art is very different than drag. Mm-hmm. And maybe people are like, oh, they're just, it's like acting, you know, they're just playing a role. But then drag is also like kind of playing, well, like from the video that I watched, it, people see it as like they're playing a role, a different persona 
of mm-hmm. themselves when they're dragging. Yeah, I think Chinese opera probably because it's so historical, people have much more respect for it. But then when it mm-hmm. comes to drag, I feel like because it's more new and more young and more like a new concept that people are coming to terms with, it's more hated on. Yeah. And it's also um I think I think you're right that like is a representation of like a part of their sexual identity. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to cross dressing is nearly strictly just performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like when like people don't have to come to the terms and accept that sexuality is fluid <laughs> and that people can express mm. themselves however they want Snapped and their that. sexuality however they want because when it's just Chinese opera, you're just acting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's almost like the movies that we talked about in last episode where the actors, they're usually not like homosexual, but they're... Well, some of them are okay, except Tony Lauren, I guess. He didn't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, like, they are more open to, like, accepting those roles because it's just, they just see it as performances yeah. instead of a representation of who they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that was just really interesting. Yeah. Let us know what you think. I think Chinese opera is also a really good topic mm-hmm. that we can dive into, too, because I'm sure there's so much more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, the popularization of drag in Hong Kong started when RuPaul's Drag Race began airing on TV in 2009. A far larger audience enjoyed exposure to drag's dizzying costumes, makeup, dancing, and lip-syncing as, contest- as contestants competed for prizes. Queens built fan followings across the globe, and some even went on to enjoy successful and lucrative showbiz careers. But something really interesting about that show and that community is that for Asian queens, the experience they have on RuPaul's Drag Race can be very interesting, especially since there's rarely a large number of queens with origins from east on the show but those who make it on the show often don't show the authenticity of the drag from their culture it's often a caricature of the asian drag they feel people will receive gratefully stating that the show only rewarded asian contestants heavily the more they played clinical oriental asian representation that fits a queen's true culture aesthetic is scarce and that needs to change, but only if the masses fight against misconceptions of these queens portrayed by media. Yeah, I think this part was really interesting because what it's saying is that you know, for Asian queens, they can't really express their culture and who they truly are and kind of show an appreciation for their culture. Either they will have to hide it or they will have to go to the other extreme to play the oriental role. And I feel like that's kind of like fetishizing and like exoticizing that culture right? mm-hmm. in order to 
gain appreciation and be rewarded on the competition. Yeah, like they have to make it their whole personality. And that like takes away from other aspects of who they are mm-hmm. as a person. But yeah, when you were reading that, it says like it's often a caricature of the drag that they feel people will receive gratefully. And that's also like catering your culture to what the mass, white. which is white people, mm-hmm. can understand and will find like quote unquote normal or like relatable. And I feel like that's a lot that happens just like in daily life in general like you have to cater you know even food like you have to cater like food choices food tastes to the masses or else like your the business isn't gonna work and that's Mm -hmm. why there's so many fusion restaurants or even yeah I feel like this just reflects how the majority of us is white and how minorities often have to cater towards them because they are the ones who have the most power or they are the most the biggest population which is kind of sad yeah and then i think it also goes to show like the marginalization even within minority the different level of like power and class and racism that exists even within the lgbtq community that makes it harder for people of color to thrive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And after like RuPaul's Drag Race came out in 2009 and it started becoming more widespread in Hong Kong, in 2011, there was a new drag show that was founded in Hong Kong called Le Fleur Sauvage. <laughs> um and it sounds like french i know it sounds like french yeah mm-hmm. uh, but this was actually started by a pr- professional dancer in manila philippines um Vi- violet and the first they were the first drag cabaret show in hong kong basically a lot of the drag queens in the beginning in hong kong a lot of them were filipino uh because the drag scene in the philippines existed much longer than in hong kong and the crowd is easier to please but since drag is becoming more popularized and more accepted in in the mainstream a lot of them have come to hong kong to start their careers here and drag performances were stereotyped in the beginning and had a following only among members of hong kong's lgbtq plus community and Violet recalled that they weren't even being paid enough to cover the cost of their makeup, wigs, and costumes. And they said that they spent 1,500 Hong Kong dollars for their wig and costume and only got paid 800 Hong Kong dollars for the show, um, which is 100 bucks in mm. U.S. And also, fun fact, while drag queens in the Philippines have had more opportunities to explore and express their art and craft, the pay scale in the country has remained lower than drag performers in other countries. In the Philippines, drag performers get paid anywhere from 1000 to 3000 Uh, I don't know what the currency is in the Philippines, but the Filipino currency uh, per show, which is 20 to $60. Uh, while in Hong Kong, the going rate is at least 2000 Hong Kong dollars, which is like two fifty. Mm, that's really interesting though, but then the cost of everything is also higher because 
She said she also spent like $1,500 for her wig and her costume. Yeah, yeah. The standard of living. I mean, this it's interesting because it's so not common in Hong Kong, I feel like. But then they still get paid higher. That's probably just because Hong Kong's standard of living is higher than the Philippines. In my research, I also saw that a lot of drag queens in Hong Kong get paid more than drag queens in Europe or in the US. And I thought that was very interesting because I feel like drag queens are in higher demand in like more westernized countries. So I was like, that is very surprising to me. But maybe it's because like the supply, well, we're going to economics now, but like the oh, supply that's is also higher. Right. Like in Hong Kong, it's a in, scarcity. Um, or scarcity, mm-hmm. so they need to pay more yeah. to to have to hire, to hire those people. Them. True, yeah, but yeah, and even now, economic lessons. Yes, and even now, a lot of the drag queens who came in the early days who were Filipino are still here. That's really cool. Yeah, and then later on, we'll also like kind of touch upon the different like popular drag queens in Hong Kong, and some of them include like Filipino drag queens in Hong Kong too. Yeah. So another very interesting phenomenon in Hong Kong is foging. So foging is a culture of perseverance forged from oppression born during the 60s of the Harlem ballroom scene, a hub for New York's Black and Latino LGBTQ communities. And foging was introduced to Hong Kong by a person named Ken Ken in 2017. And since he started um, foging in Hong Kong in just two short years, what began as a few workshops here and there has expanded to packed classes held almost every day of the week, as well as dance showcases, universities, university campus performances, and ballroom competitions. However, unlike cities in the U.S. or in Europe, where the ballroom scene is primarily made up of trans people and gay men, Hong Kong's scene, according to Yan, who is another drag queen in Hong Kong, comprises around 70% cis women and unusually low 30% identifying as gay men. He estimated he estimated that there's nobody in the scene who actually identifies as trans and no one who is non-ethically Chinese. So they're all Chinese. Um, he said that Hong Kong is still conservative with issue regarding trans rights only coming into limelight now. And a lot of people are still in the closet. And if gay guys are out, they're terrified of being perceived as not masculine. Mm-hmm. Um, so from here, like, what do you think about the fact that, you know, um, these scenes are usually comprised of cis women instead of, like, gay men and trans people? Yeah, even the percentage was, like, shocking. Like, 70% versus 30%. I just feel like it's because a lot of people are still... even I... I even if they did come out as gay, I feel like because they are so scared of being perceived as not masculine, they won't even like attend these kinds of classes. They wouldn't put them- themselves in the position of being perceived as not masculine. And it's not like it's their fault that they don't want to. It's just like society 
will label them a certain way and you know and I feel like it's great that Ken Ken has made this inclusive space for you know the LGBTQ plus community but the population that has attended just shows that it's not or even like people don't feel safe to go gay men don't feel safe to go and it's interesting that there's 70 percent audience is a straight woman um and even before we're talking about how trends or like exercise trends develop so quickly in hong kong or just trends in general and how there was a aerial um yoga trend <laughs> that everyone was doing like aerial yoga and just going to yoga classes and so i wonder if this one was another one of that like i wonder if voguing is like something that people I, I think people do enjoy it, like women do enjoy it because it is an expression of femininity and, you know, they can feel good. They can feel good about themselves. Like they can wear heels mm-hmm. and express and just feel like sexy. But mm-hmm. I wonder if this has also become a trend, like every, a lot of things in Hong Kong, um, which kind of takes away mm-hmm. the intention i guess of this well no i guess the intention of it was for women to women or people people in the community to feel accepted and feel good so i guess in that sense yes but yeah but then i also like wonder if the overwhelmingly large number of cis women also like took up too much of that space and kind of made people who identify as lgbtq like hesitant to join these groups mm, because true. again they will become minorities in, yeah. this, in these groups but those are just my guess like from from like a research that i do like a lot of people are saying that like these communities are very welcoming there's no judgment and everybody's just have fun mm-hmm. i feel like but, though um, you have to be very confident in your identity to yeah like it probably took years for Ken Ken to feel like confident and accepted you know so it's hard Mm -hmm. yeah so we also um found a little kip clip kip (laughs) from Ken Ken from Ken Ken that talks about like what voguing means to him and we can listen to it and then we also translate it afterwards yeah, he basically says that voguing allowed him to discover himself and learn who he is and figure out like what he likes and what he doesn't like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he. I guess he just learned a lot since he started voguing about himself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his identity. Yeah. So this was in 2017. I feel like a lot of things started becoming more popularized yeah. in 2017. Yeah. So also in 2017, the nightclub Petticoat Lane opened its doors and offered a regular drag show performance. The regular performance at this club put Hong Kong's drag performers in the spotlight and generated a loyal following not only among the LGBTQ plus community, but with mainstream Hong Kong society as well. Regular shows gave the queens a steady paycheck 
allowed them to invest in better costumes and props and enabled them to level up their performance. Yeah, I think that's a really good sign that, you know, they're at least like getting paid well and they can really invest invest in their own craft and art and mm-hmm. performances. Yeah, um, and then again in 2017, that was taking the initiative to embrace drag by hosting lip sync battles and other drag show events. Lip sync battle night, a monthly tradition at the club, allows customers to perform and compete by lip sync to songs, inviting local drag queens to perform throughout the event. Mm-hmm. And this club is owned by, or the organizer of this event is. I think he's a white man. I'm not sure if he is in the LGBTQ plus community, but that was also interesting that I wanted to bring up because it seems like a lot of organizers or even people who are in the spotlight are not like local Hong Kongers or Chinese. A lot of them are Southeast Asian or, you know, from the West or at least like have more Western values because, I mean, they might have grown up in Hong Kong. We don't know that, but definitely not Chinese. <laughs> people i'm not mm-hmm. sure i there probably have are some chinese uh queens in hong kong like asian queens already in this time but a lot of the ones who were more popular and put in the spotlight were not yeah i think like a lot of the local queens are definitely influenced by other cultures mm-hmm. and also empowered by other cultures for them to like come out and do these performances yeah yeah and in 2019 there was a popularity of drag brunches and this is very interesting because w the w hotel in hong kong which is one of the most like five star like high-end hotels put on a drag me to late brunch and it is 988 Hong Kong dollars plus 10% per person fee, which is over $1,000, um, which includes free flow champagne, whatever champagne, a gin bar, selected wines, beer, and more. Also, there were live stations, canopies, and they were passing around, like, I guess, little snacks from 5 p.m. And there was a full buffet at 6.30 <laughs> after. And... Wow. It just seems so, like, out of touch. Like, I feel like drag is supposed to be something that all the masses should be able to enjoy. Of course, like, paying the drag queens well. But I feel like hotels taking this and making it into a very luxurious experience and a very exclusive experience just kind of feels weird. And it's like, how much are you paying them? Like, you're just going to be taking a lot of the profit so it's like, are you trying to give them a space to perform and and be showcased for their talent? Or are you just trying to use them for yeah. either to show everyone that, oh, yeah, I am progressive and I'm inclusive? Or you just want to make money? Yeah, it just seems like they want to make money. I feel like, to me, I always feel that like drag shows are, in my mind, they're very like community based and like they are very down to earth. And like you said, they're accessible to the mass, to like normal, quote unquote, like normal people. And mm-hmm. for 
like this brunch to be that expensive this is like almost probably like 130 us dollars it's probably to yeah attend. yeah yeah to attend like which is really expensive for a brunch i mean i guess they have a buffet but yeah but then at the same time like are you it doesn't seem like i feel like they really like they just took away the intention mm. of a drag show yeah and i um, i feel like a drag show should be a community event where people get together and feel empowered and kind of show appreciation for that culture but for them to charge such a high price and add all of these very luxurious stuff on top of exactly. it. Exactly. That just yeah. makes me feel that, no, that is not the purpose. Empowerment is not the purpose anymore. Yeah. Um, seems more just like a social event. Mm-hmm. Definitely. To make money. Yeah. And I, I feel like when it becomes a business, I mean, they should be rightfully compensated and, you know, but I feel like when you have drag performances in a bar or, like, a gay club or something, it's like, yeah, we're all sharing this experience together. Like, it is there for people, allies, but also, like, mainly for people who are part of the LGBTQ plus community to feel included and to feel proud of their identity. But then when it becomes an industry, like, I've been to an event where drag queens were hired to come perform. And I was like, are they just your entertainment now? Like, I feel like it's Mm -hmm. the meaning behind drag is so much more than that. But then to be diminished into just a form of like entertainment for other people where they pay you to be at, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And then those events are also exclusive, right? You have to pay and then you have to get invited to go in. It's not like, well, you you're part of the LGBTQ community and you kind of wanted no other people from that community to show you. So you go to those events. But this has become just performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like paying yeah. to see like... And like for people to take pictures with drag queens. Yeah. It's really like paying to see a movie. I don't even know what to compare it to. But yeah, it's become a whole business. And... In also in 2019, there was a drag jam that was started. So Berlin-born drag queen, also known as Zaza Hu, <laughs> with a question mark. Zaza Hu. Zaza Hu. Um, <laughs> uh, she is the co-founder of Drag Jam, one of Hong Kong's rising all-inclusive drag movements. Drag Jam is an all-inclusive event that uses drag as an empowering art to share words, emotions, and talents. It hosts a variety of different workshops, events, and shows that are open to all to perform or attend. See, like, this is what it's supposed to be about. Mm-hmm. And she was saying that doing drag started out as a responsibility because she grew up with the privilege of having all these things accessible, like sex and gender education. So she wanted to give the people here in Hong Kong the opportunity to also get the same knowledge. So she is a Berlin-born... She's Berlin-born, so she's white. And that is true. We never have gender education either. Um, We're never taught about what sexuality means. So... Yeah, so it's really cool that she's doing that. Yeah, a lot of the cases I feel like in Hong Kong is like some sort of Western value or Western person that comes in and then wants to make those changes or implement those changes. 
because it's hard to make progress if not, I feel like. Or it's hard to realize those problems Mm -hmm. if not. Yeah. I think, like, again, it's also because Hong Kong is a very small place and also very close-off place, even though we're, like, a international city i feel like Mm -hmm. we're still somewhat close off to other types of cultural experiences Mm. we're a very largely homogenous communities so you don't really get to see like different ways of life Mm -hmm. and when that's the case i feel like our mindset can just be very um narrow True. our worldview can be very narrow mm-hmm. and it can only be open when there's someone who's like outside of the hong kong bubble to come and see oh how the way we live and then seeing how it can be improved and new ideas can be introduced mm-hmm. to hong kong yes it's almost like how i am like when i was in hong kong i was like i feel like i was kind of like narrow-minded I, there's a lot of things i didn't know mm-hmm. until mm-hmm. i came to the u.s and it's through like living in a different culture and different experience that taught me to look at the world in a different lens and also like learn about issues like the lgbtq community Mm -hmm. yeah exactly yeah and then so now the drag scene in hong kong they're mainly in nightclubs in central sangwan and LKF, Lan Goi Fong, they host elaborate drag events featuring high energy choreography and goosebump inducing singing and <laughs> lip singing. <laughs> that's, that's an interesting Love the adjective. Goosebump inducing. Okay. Yes. Um, drag used to be only held in certain bars and only at night for safety, and it was more hidden. However, now, drag acts are no longer confined to nightlife and dimly lit bars, said Seer, who organized the FLM battles. For example, drag queens like Stephanie Slackhouse performed as the opening act before LGBTQ plus film screenings at the grounds in AIA Fatality Park at the massive Central Harborfront event space, which is a really big thing because yeah. I remember the AIA Park was a was like one of the kind of touristy attraction in Hong Kong mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. a lot of people would go to. Yeah, and um, another factor that gives kind of popularity to drag culture is social media. So in the past. The drag scene in Hong Kong was mostly underground and unless you know people in the community, it was difficult to catch a performance in the city. But nowadays with social media, performers can easily let their followers know where their next performance will take place. Fans, meanwhile, can keep up to date on their favorite performers and attend all of their shows. So even though Hong Kong's local drag scene has Yet to break into mainstream media, drag enthusiasts and performers are sharing their appreciation for the art form far and wide, not only to show what they have to offer as individual performers, but also to make their voices heard in the hopes that Hong Kong drag scene gets further recognition by the rest of the world. 
Yeah, and drag is so important because it's not only, you know, people dressing up and performing. It mocks the social constructs that we as human beings take so much comfort in. It turns the gender binary upside down, sideways, and inside out. And it poses the question of what does maleness and femaleness mean? And there are many cultures and societies in different corners of our world that consider the feminine as weakness, sin, or, you know, associated with negative negative things. Drag flips that. It takes femininity and wears it like armor. <laughs> and it turns it into a woman. I love that. Yes. But I think a drag queen said this she said i think the most beautiful part of drag is what the transformation means because drag pushes the boundaries of identity it it sort of shows the world that who we are is fluid and for all people not just drag queens identity is something we wear like a mask or a costume Ooh, ooh, identity is something we wear like a mask or a costume. Mm-hmm. And that I feel we like can be whoever we want to be. Yeah, and I feel like because mm-hmm. Hong Kong's environment just isn't built for that, like for people to feel safe to wear their identity as a you know costume or in daily life. That's why drag is so not mainstream. People don't want to. You want to be be far away from that. Yeah. And I feel like there's just so many judgments around, like, sexual identity, especially. Yeah. Which ties into um, the next section. So this is from an interview with Coco Pop, who is a local Hong Kong um, drag queen. So the interviewer asked her, what do you think people are often misinformed about when it comes to drag? And she said, Hong Kong people are actually pretty open when it comes to LGBTQ plus issues, but that's only until they personally have to handle the situation. Say, finding out their son is gay or their daughter is lesbian. Sometimes the family members are supportive, sometimes they are completely against against it, or sometimes they just ignore it. For my father, he wasn't against me, but he also didn't do anything about me coming out gay. So I think that was a lot. What do you think about that? Yeah, I feel like circling back to a conversation we had before we started recording, we were seeing how a lot of the discrimination against the LGBTQ plus community isn't direct or blatant. Like people have thoughts about it and they just keep it to themselves. Like it's never... Nobody goes up to the drag queens and is rude to them or there's no kind of violence. There's no like protesting to be like, I want them, you know, I don't want to see them or anything like that. Like it's all very silent. And even like my mom would say things like, oh, yeah, you know, I don't mind them. Um, I don't mind existing with people from the LGBTQ plus community, but I just don't want them to be get married under the church or something like that. But then I'd be like, but that means you have a problem with it, though, if you're like, if you don't mind them, but then you also say things like they don't have the right to get married in a church, then that means there's an issue there that you have with them. But I think that's how a lot of people view like people in the community. They don't blatantly discriminate, but they say things like that, which doesn't really, I guess, is hypocritical. Yeah, it's hypocritical, but I feel like it doesn't really have an effect, like, grand scheme of things. I mean, it does, but also it doesn't. 
because they're not acting on it. And it's like, oh, yeah, I don't want them to be married in the church, but she's not going to do anything to stop that if that was something that was made legal, you know? Like, she would maybe express mm-hmm. it like, oh, why? But then she wouldn't go and try to change it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that, yeah, that is, like, honestly a very prominent problem in Hong Kong because although there are not a lot of blatant hate for the LGBTQ plus community, but there is also no tangible action, like very few tangible action that is going on to make the Hong Kong society more inclusive to that community, to be more supportive, to protect that community. And from my personal experience too, like, I have family members who are part of the LGBTQ community and, you know, my grandparents, they never really address it or talk about it. Mm-hmm. It's just, and like, no one in the family really, like, explicitly address it, but we all just know. Mm. Um, yeah. I wonder if that's yeah. more harmful, because you know how, like, yeah, nobody talks about it. Just like you think it, but then nobody does anything about it, right? Do you think that is more harmful? Because then that just means there's not going to be any awareness. I think that's a very, um, it's a very complicated problem now I think about it. Because you know how, like, we also talk about how, like, and Asian parents are usually not very verbally mm-hmm. affectionate. They're not very good at, like, saying things verbally that saying oh i accept you i love you whatever yeah but i feel like maybe their action of so in my own experience for my grandparents they do like they don't say anything about it but then they are they will welcome my uncle's partner to come dinner with us Mm. or my aunt's partner to come dinner with us Mm -hmm. and maybe in that sense they are kind of expressing their love for just accepting them but I'd, yeah. I feel like they still see them as like I don't know like friends but they know that they mm. is more than friends I think it's very complicated because it's like everybody knows what's happening but then no one is willing to like explicitly admit like it. accept it or like and accept it define it and I wonder how how like you know my aunt and uncle actually feels about it like do they feel fully accepted by my grandparents yeah it seems like like um, not recognizing it just makes it feel less legitimate or like even not legitimate at all mm-hmm. yeah so another um question that was asked um was what form of discrimination have you who is coco pop face do you think Hong Kong is more tolerant now than before towards the LGBTQ plus community? And she said, I have personally never felt directly discriminated by anyone. And my gay friends who came from countries with legalized gay marriage often say they feel safer in Hong Kong than in their own countries. Hong Kongers are tolerant until they themselves have to deal with a family member who is from the LGBTQ plus community. But I'm hopeful that the situation will gradually improve. It's so interesting yeah. because 
I feel like we're tall, like Hong Kong people are tolerant because we don't say anything and we don't comment publicly about how we really feel. But then the issue is still there, though. So it's actually really interesting to see how people feel more accepted here because, or in Hong Kong. And even honestly, when I was doing research, I was going to do a paragraph about discrimination or, you know, like the whole paragraph dedicated to that. And I couldn't find any information on people being discriminated against on. I'm sure there have been like incidents of microaggression or even people like, Yeah, microaggression. People looking at them and like not looking at them with uh what is the term like with a with another cold eye. eyes yeah 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 some yeah like you know how you can st- look at someone you know, you know that they're staring at you yeah so i'm sure there have been microaggressions like that but there has been no information online about blatant discrimination yeah that is so interesting people just though. don't express mm-hmm yeah, it's always very implicit. Um, unlike in the West, I feel like everything is so like blatant and like explicit and like you straight up just yell slurs at those people Karens. and like it gets violence and stuff. Yeah. Um but I think it's also important to recognize that microaggression can just be as emotionally and mentally harmful to those communities knowing that they're not included um and it's still very the same problem of like they're very afraid to come out and be who they are in front of their people and people that they love they're definitely stereotyped quietly and even fetishized like people like having them as even with the hotel, having them perform, I feel like that's like some sort of benefiting off of people seeing them as like, ooh, new and so modern and so progressive. So Western too. Yeah. So white. Yeah. Maybe that's why hotels want to do it because it's a Western concept. Like it's a mm. white concept. And they're like, it's we like are a white. A representation. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's a representation of class mm-hmm. to be able to pay to go to those events too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Wow. But um, we have some drag queens. We're gonna do a, maybe a TikTok or a reel about it. So remember to follow us on social media. <laughs> Yay. Um, but yeah, this was such an interesting episode. Like, I feel like when we talked about it last time, we were both just like so set on doing it because it's just like we've never – it was never a thing actually when we were in Hong Kong. Like, the drag scene was not – I didn't Also, we yeah. couldn't go to clubs <laughs> like in high school. No. Well, we could, but I didn't. Um, no, I so didn't. I was never exposed to this side of Hong Kong. So this was very educational. And I'm going to quote drag queen Saza Hu. Um, so she says, (laughs) she says, don't stop because I think Hong Kong has a responsibility in Asia. There are many Asian countries which look to it. So this is why we should never get more quiet or less visible, which is interesting too, because I feel like that has changed a little bit. Like, I feel like Taiwan is the most looked to probably country now. But yeah, go follow the drag queens on social media. We'll probably tag them in some sort of social media post. And yeah, follow us on TikTok and Instagram. 
Also, follow us on Anchor or Spotify or follow us on Apple Podcasts, wherever. Oh, oh, I know what we're gonna gonna add to. What were we gonna say? Oh. Uh, remember to rate us on Spotify. So oh, if, yeah. If rate you've us. updated your Spotify, you should be able to see the little star icon on our homepage. And then just tap that star icon. Give us, okay, whatever rating you think we deserve. Yes, leave and a comment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't think you can leave comments. Oh, can you not review it? No, I think on Apple Podcasts you can. On Apple, yeah, yes. you can. Yes, yes, yes. But on Spotify you can't. Yes. Anyways, yes, yes, yes. yeah, that would help us a lot because right now our rating is not showing up. Like it will only show up. Oh, was up it not? We have a certain amount of ratings. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Yes. Eat. Eat. Yes. 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 Rate us. Rate us. Thank and you. thanks for listening. We'll see you next next week. Quote. <laughs> Quote. Bye-bye. Bye.